You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, Monique Russell. Today in my guest chair, I have an amazing woman, Okama Brooks. She is the <laughs> founder and president of ACHA, African Caribbean Heritage Alliance. She's been a senior advisor to many national, regional, and international developments, supporting government leaders worldwide. She's a liaison officer at the United Nations She's passionate about building bridges and reconnecting Africa and the Caribbean heritage. This young lady has done so much in terms of fostering connections. I just had to have her on the show. I can't wait to dive into our conversation. Okama, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Monique. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. Hi, viewers. Yes. Thank you. So I'm just going to dive right on into this. So if you could be anywhere in the world, I know you have traveled all over. I can't even think of how many countries you have basically been in. But if you could choose anywhere in the world that you could be or you would want to be right now, where would that be and why? <laughs> Thank you. Actually, I feel I am in the right place uh, where I am right now. I am uh, talking to you uh, from Abuja in Nigeria, uh, West Africa, and uh, I feel this is where I'm supposed to be right now. So I'm really grounded and um, I'm enjoying the momentum. And so, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. This Fantastic. is where I was meant to be. So yes. this is home for now. <laughs> home for now. So let's talk about home. <laughs> Home prior to where you are right now. You've been to, I mean, St. Martin, Curacao, Sri Lanka, um, and not just for vacation, but primarily to do work and to do work that fosters, uh, fostered connections among nations. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that about? How did you get inspired to do this type of work that you're in? Okay. Um, actually, um, it really started when, in, from a young age, I've been very much involved with, um, you know, uh, volunteer work. Uh, my aunt, uh, growing up in Cross River State here in Nigeria, uh, my aunt, um, you know, was a professor at a university at a time, uh, but she was also very, very engaged in community development activities. And I remember uh, very early on, um, she was running 
a program for um, the Nigerian Guinea Warm Eradication Programs, which was covering communities that were affected by, you know, a local, uh, say, um, an ailment affecting some of the communities. So she actually had an NGO that was doing eradication of Guinea Warm around uh, the, the uh, states in Nigeria. So as, uh, you know, high school students, I used to volunteer with her. Um, during those times. And it was, you know, during uh, that kind of work, doing that volunteer work, I actually came in contact with uh, girls that were affected by, you know, lack of education and opportunities. And um, through that, I got to understand that there were actually uh, girls who were uh, less privileged than uh, I was in terms of actually being able to get an education. So, that spiraled into uh, work that my aunt also carried on within her foundation, which is looking at uh, issues affecting women in Nigeria. So girls and women. Um, so it was called a Women in Nigeria program. So I got, you know, introduced into that. So I've been sort of in the development work, humanitarian work for, uh, for quite a while. Um, but then the, the turning point in professionalizing this actually came when my husband and I, uh, my husband is Canadian, and um, we met here in Nigeria, got married, uh, went to Canada, spent some time there, but we came to a point in life, you know, like barely two years, where we both uh, were reawakened to the fact that we were not quite comfortable with the lifestyle in Canada. We really wanted uh, to get into development work, be out in the field and experience what it's like, you know, both of us being engaged at that level. Because he was actually in Nigeria doing development work. And so when we got back to Canada, it was that feeling, that pool was so strong that both of us wanted to be in development work. So that's actually what took us to apply for positions with uh, QSO, it's the Canadian University Services Overseas. Because uh, at the time, you know, we're a young couple, we've just been married, you know, a couple of years. And uh, so we applied with QSO. And it was through QSO that we ended up in um, Southeast Asia working in Thailand, uh, both of us as QSO volunteers. And we were, um, you know, thrown into rural community in uh, northeastern Thailand, <laughs> just <Wow>. young, <laughs> couple. Uh, but but we had orientation, and part of the orientation was language training. Mm. So we did language training for two months, and then two weeks of uh, being um, with uh, local families, homestay with local families. I didn't speak a word of English. So we had to survive those two weeks. And at the end of it, we were very well prepared to go and work in our organizations. So um, coincidentally, my organization was looking at the role of women in alternative agriculture. So my experience from earlier volunteering with my aunt's uh, organization and also my you know, educational background uh, prepared me well for that position. So I looked at, um, uh, how women could be more involved in decision-making in playing a leadership uh, role uh, in alternative agriculture. And that really came about from the uh, Thailand uh, moving away um, from 
basically excessive use of uh, herbicides, pesticides in agriculture. The land had been affected, even the people's health was being affected. And so um, in efforts to look at alternative agriculture, look at organic farming, uh, there was a need for women who were actually the owners of the land to be involved in that discourse and ensure that they were part of the decision making on how the land could be you know, converted and made more sustainable. So that was really our first, you know, overseas assignment as professionals. Mm -hmm. And from Thailand, after two years of uh, that service, we were not quite ready to come back to Canada or go back to Nigeria. So um, luckily we got uh, positions still with QSO in Laos. So we moved from Thailand and to Lao PDR, which is, you know, still in uh, Southeast Asia. And uh, both of us, um, I worked there as uh, the uh, manager. I was uh, now hired to help coordinate the uh, volunteer program and uh, did that uh, for three, two and a half, almost three years. And then I had my uh, first assignment with uh, United Nations Development Program where I was hired uh, to look at the role of volunteers in Lao society. You know, are volunteers actually contributing? Could they be more involved in helping, you know, to deliver services at the local level? So that's how I came in contact with uh, uh, the United Nations Development Program. And if, during that period, actually, uh, something, um, we, we, you know, we love traveling. So when we were in Southeast Asia, we wanted to go to South Asia. We wanted to go to Sri Lanka. And so Sri Lanka at the time uh, was um, just coming out of the conflict. There was uh, the ceasefire agreement that was signed between the uh, rebel group and the government. So there was a bit of calm and the opportunity then came up for us to you know, visit Sri Lanka. So we went and visited Sri Lanka and I was just wowed. It was such an amazing experience. Uh, after two weeks, we came back and I was, I became the uh, goodwill ambassador for Sri Lanka. And just talking about, you know, the amazing country, the people, the culture. And, um, so my colleagues, you know, um, just labeled me the ambassador <laughs> of Sri Lanka, like forget about, you know, the official title and everything, but Okama is now, you know, the spokesperson for Sri Lanka that everybody should go and visit Sri Lanka. Wow. And it was, you know, in, within the context of this conversation that um, I was uh, informed about the opportunity um, to go and work in Sri Lanka. And so, uh, you know, that just evolved into us moving to Sri Lanka. So I, I, you know? I want to say that this is so deep and so powerful because I'm hearing so many powerful nuggets from your story. First of all, your aunt gave you like so much exposure into this whole work of service. So it pretty much was in your DNA. And then I mean, when you went there in terms of preparing, now everybody just doesn't jump up and say, I want to go to a entirely different country where I don't speak the language. I don't know anything about anything. And on top of that, being in a rural, 
a rural part of the country, but both you and your husband had that shared vision, that shared passion, and it was something that you jumped at. Now I'm hearing you talk about coming out of a war situation, a very hostile, tense situation. Your curiosity is something that you were still curious about going to South Asia and moving to Sri Lanka. So my question to you is, how did you develop this open mindset and this sort of curious approach to now not only going to this place, but turning into an ambassador for a place that you didn't know much about prior to? I think, um, I think Monique, is, it's really, um, as you said, it's in the DNA. I've always uh, been brought up to uh, think, think about others. Uh, think about, you know, what makes me happy. And really, from, from a very early age, I've found that being able to, you know, um, do unto others as I wish them to do unto me has really driven um, some of the things that I've done in my life. And I, if I reflect on it to where I am today, I believe that that has been a conscious, um, a conscious effort that's always been made to, you know, um, offer a helping hand, um, share my knowledge and be open to learning, open to learning. I believe every opportunity that is provided for me to learn um, makes me a better person. And therefore, when I have that knowledge, it is my responsibility to share it. So I think it was that uh, zeal for, for travel, for, um, for life, to explore, to learn more, that really um, made me uh, want to do what uh, I did. And then when I, I, I saw that the people were in a, in, a, in a difficult situation, I felt it my responsibility to be able to help. But from an inside out perspective, because I don't believe that you have to be you know, out here prescribing solutions while you don't really know what it's like for the people that are affected to be in that situation. So you almost have to you know, embed yourself. You have to, you have to know what it is that um, they're talking about. You have to know what they're undergoing in order to you know, work with them in finding the solutions that will make it sustainable. So I think that was really one of the driving forces in um, wanting to really go to these uh, places and and experience for myself uh, what it's like. And that has basically uh, impacted in the way that I was able to you know, manage the uh, UN volunteer program. Because in uh, Sri Lanka, I was the you know, manager of the UN volunteer program. And United Nations Volunteers uh, brings together people uh, from different world, uh, different parts of the world and they would, you know, come to Sri Lanka. We'll bring them, recruit them as professionals, um, come to Sri Lanka, and we place them with different United Nations agencies. So they are on the ground actually working. And um, so at a time with, you know, the, just coming out of the conflict with the rebel group, the Tamil Tigers, we, I had volunteers from Africa, from Asia, from you know Europe, North America, they were all there um, doing different things on the ground. 
And my role, which I really took uh, to heart, was preparing them to be able to go into the field with an understanding of what is the situation and ensuring that they did not contribute to causing more harm oh. in the process of delivering their services. And so, you know, that takes me back again to really a, a, a conscious look at what is going on and how can we make, make it better by really understanding who are the people and what um, we needed to do with them and therefore the methodology that we, uh, was chosen. So I did that and I enjoyed my time in Sri Lanka for um, six years. The time just, you know, wow. flew so fast. Before we know it, we had, we actually were there when the tsunami happened. Oh. And um, so we went straight into a recovery mode, relief and reconstruction. And, um, you know, a year after that, they were back again to the conflict just because some of the issues, uh, underlying issues cropped up again during the uh, uh, relief and recovery period after mm -hmm. the tsunami. So the fighting started again and uh, the response to how that fighting was um, handled at the time was really against my principles, actually our principles of um, working there. So we made the choice to actually leave the country. Mm. Um, so we left and we went back to Canada for a year. And then um, we um, got the opportunity. I got the opportunity again with the UN uh, development program to work in the Caribbean. So Ooh. that's how we ended up <laughs> in Curacao. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Talk about a shift. There's so many things, Okama, that I feel our listeners listening could really benefit from. When you talked about the inside out approach and actually going in and embedding yourself in the community and not having these prescriptive solutions from afar, looking afar and, you know, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. But your philosophy, if I'm not mistaken, is more of let's get in, let's understand what's going on, let's have this connection so that we can actually um, build this, this bridge. And then when you talked about the way that you would help the volunteers or prepare them to go in to do their work, making sure that they didn't cause harm. I just want to go back to that for a moment before we jump to the Caribbean what did you mean by that when you say, you know, not causing harm? Well, I think, Monique, one of the uh, most important things, um, and we can relate that to even what's happening around the world today, is the fact that um, as human beings, we often make assumptions of what solutions should be administered to certain people at certain times and periods of their lives and depends on where they are. So um, early on, like I said, when we went to Thailand, we had the orientation. And having such an orientation, a detailed orientation that took you through the culture of the people really gives you an appreciation of who the people are, what drives them, and therefore uh, going in to do any kind of work with them 
you really need to ensure that it's uh, it's going to be sustainable. It's it's what they can relate to, and therefore they'll be able to continue it even when you're gone. And so uh, having this, you know, uh, inside out uh, approach with uh, my volunteers, um, they all came from different parts of the world, and they all have uh, you know different preconceived notions about what development is. Uh, and, you know, come in because usually they, these are very experienced people, but because they come in with um, less pay than the normal UN staff members, that's really the voluntary aspect. So we ask them to accept a little less to be willing to, you know, work in these uh, difficult situations. So they're very highly qualified. They have a lot of experience under their belt. Um, and so coming in with a different mindset and lack of knowledge of uh, Sri Lankan culture, Sri Lankan people, um, my job, I felt it was my job to then ensure that they really understood what the context was. And from that understanding, then they could embed themselves. And once you embed yourself in the community, in a partnership with the people, then the goal of our of that assignment is usually more successful because then the buy-in of the community is there from the onset and the um, you know the volunteer is accepted and can do their work uh, very well so that has really been one of the reasons why i often say you know we need to have no matter how quickly you want to do something or you want to have a placement done we really need to take time to look at uh, the context. We need to take the time to provide orientation. We need to take the time to brief our people and ensure that it is a collaborative uh, platform that is set up for that to be sustainable. Oh. So that was really, you know, uh, some of the driving factors behind the way that I chose to do my work. And um, most of the volunteers that work with me, both national and international, they come out of that experience. So, you know, uh, talking about how enriching it has been. And I still have many of them as my friends. <laughs> wow. I mean, it just goes to show you talk about sustainability and it would make sense that they would still be connected to you, you know, just practicing what you preach. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, so take us now to the Caribbean where you, you were done with that. You said, you know what? Okay. Six years we're through. You moved back to Canada. You guys got the itch again. Okay. It's time to go somewhere. <laughs> and you found your way to Curacao first. So what was your experience like there? Uh, it was really, I mean, um, when we left, like I said, when we left Sri Lanka, it was because uh, the conflict was uh, fueling up again, and um, we did not necessarily uh, align with the way that the government had chosen to address it. Uh, so um, going back to Canada, um, we were still, you know, soul searching you know, what's going to be the future? Like, we always, you know, question ourselves, is what we've chosen to do going to be challenging for both of us professionally, personally? And by this time now, we had three kids, um, you know, who were born <laughs> overseas during this uh, time. 
Um, so is it, is it a kind of uh, life, you know, being back in Canada with our kids at those ages, the kind of life that we want to, you know, lead now? And um, when the opportunity of Curacao came up, it was really uh, to help with the dismantling of the former Netherlands Antilles. So you, you know, you have uh, Sri Lanka, um, Sri Lanka, which there were, you know, cultural issues there. Um, and because, you know, I'm a black young woman in a management role, I used to, you know, have all these different um, experiences with people really coming to uh, terms, I guess, for the first time with an African, an African young woman who is, you know, educated and eloquent, knows what she's doing. Um, and they would be surprised, you know, some of the communities, it's the first time they've actually seen an African wow. uh, and a woman at that. And so um, I, it was then I kind of got the awakening that we needed to, you know, um, be more vocal about who we are as black people. That awakening really started in Sri Lanka by the questions that people were asking and, you know, wanting to touch my hair, wanting to, you know, sometimes feel my skin. <laughs> and um, so, <laughs> why we, so we actually, <laughs> we actually, and then, a, you know, a young woman, young black woman um, in my role as a manager. And sometimes it's funny because sometimes I'll go to, because I'm very down to earth. So um, I'll drive myself to meetings, official meetings. And before I get there, uh, a message has already been sent. Uh, this is the time the meeting is starting and these are all the people. So I'll show up, drive myself there, show up at a meeting. Once I you know, identify myself, then there'll be like this shock because uh, for some reason, Okama, my name has a Japanese meaning. Mm. And Again, for another reason, some people always associated Okama with a male a figure. And then when they put that together with the manager of the UN volunteer program, they would assume it's a Japanese male. Oh, wow. Talk so, about a surprise you know, when you showed up on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> so when I show up and, you know, very, you know, easygoing, uh, down to earth, just the shock. Um, so then, you know, that would trigger a conversation about, you know, what the, ex what the, you know, expectations were, the stereotypes and the perceptions of what, you know, somebody um, in that role should look like and be. And so my idea then uh, started from Sri Lanka to actually have more of uh, activities that showcase the African culture, African people, who we are, um, and just you know a different present a different picture than what they had been uh, exposed to through the mass media and so uh, living in Sri Lanka and then having the opportunity to work in Curacao in the Caribbean for the first time um, and my role there was a liaison officer for the uh, United Nations Development Program I was based in government and the only UN representative there working within the government helping with the dismantling of the former Netherlands Antilles. So the former Netherlands Antilles had five islands of Curacao, St. Martin, Bonaire, Seba, and, and St. Eustatius. So these five islands 
um, we're now being broken up into different entities. So a decentralization. Um, and let me mention here that the former Netherlands Antilles is one of the members of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Okay, so Netherlands is the um, colonial power mm -hmm. in that part of the Caribbean. And um, the, end, the, the result of that is, you know, constellation of the Netherlands itself being the metropole, the uh, 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 Netherlands Antilles, um, and Aruba, where now the three members of the kingdom. So uh, after, I guess, a number of um, um, agitations, the Netherlands Antilles was now being broken up. And so my role was to help with the uh, decentralization process with, um, you know, um, capacity building on how to manage the change, make sure all of the, you know, assets information was handed over to the new um, entities that were being formed out of that. So Curacao, which was the capital of the former Netherlands Antilles, was now breaking away to become an independent entity. And St. Martin was the other one that was being broken up. While the three other islands of um, Bonaire, Seba and St. Eustatius uh, became municipalities of the Netherlands. So they chose to go with the Netherlands while Curacao and St. Martin became now countries, autonomous countries within the kingdom of the Netherlands. So the kingdom now from three entities now has um, Aruba, Curacao, St. Martin, and the Netherlands as the new constituent members of the kingdom. Mm. And so my role there was really, as I mentioned, to help coordinate uh, the uh, change process and to ensure uh, uh, to the extent possible that it was done in a transparent and accountable uh, way. And um, so going to the Caribbean and already having read about the Caribbean and the fact that you know people of the Caribbean uh, have uh, you know lineage with uh, African people. I really expected that to be a much more culturally enriching experience for me, and that was why you know I jumped at the opportunity when it came up. So I did uh, find out that yes, um, our people, there are people uh, there, and many of them um, wish to know what the continent is about, the homeland is about and um, to connect, to connect basically. So the title of your podcast is so, so uh, relevant because um, it was while I was there that the idea came up to find ways for us to um, positively reconnect our people. So working from Curacao and then from Curacao, uh, moving on to St. Martin where after St. Martin now became its own, uh, independent, um, uh, say autonomous country, and the work based on the work that I did with them during the uh, decentralization process. The new Prime Minister of St. Martin, bless her soul, uh, Sarah Westcott uh, Williams, uh, who is still you know a member of Parliament in St. Martin. Then, when she became the Prime Minister of the newly established country of St. Martin, she um, invited me to come and work. Um, in her government to help them develop their um, national development plan. 
So I moved on from Curacao to St. Martin as a senior policy advisor to government on um, national development planning process. But national development planning process from a very inclusive uh, basis. So if they had to develop a a plan, what should that plan uh, look like? Not just from government thinking and policies, but what would actually touch the people and and make sure that all of that is articulated into the national plan. So I did that for four years in St. Martin um, until we were um, affected by the hurricane of uh, 2017, uh, Hurricane Irma that swept through the islands and we had to leave and uh, went back to uh, uh, <clears throat> went back to Canada, but just for a short time, and then ended up um, back here in Nigeria. So, doing a three hundred and sixty degrees wow. back to <laughs> the motherland. So, so, really, that's how it's been. Yes. Oh my gosh! So you have given us a social studies lesson because I will tell you, growing up in the Bahamas, I did not know much about the um, Antilles, the Curacao, Aruba, St. Martin. So you have just taken me back to high school and given me a social studies lesson (laughs) in history, which I believe is really essential for us to understand. Um, (laughs) But when you said you went there, you were excited, you you researched sort of um, similar to that orientation preparation you did going to Sri Lanka you kind of learned about the Caribbean and you saw that there was a desire or connection to uh, learn more about the continent. Were there any um, viewpoints or beliefs that you had that were different from what you experienced when you got there? So you prepared before from the outside, but when you actually became embedded um, within the the islands, was there anything different that um, didn't, didn't resonate or or that matched up to what you prepared for or studied? Yes, yes. Um, I guess um, it was again a, a rude awakening for me because like I said, I expected um, because the people of uh, African descent there from the uh, transatlantic uh, slave trade where our people were taken and, and, uh, and through enslavement, um, their ancestors were uh, raised there. So um, I thought because, you know, they, they looked like me, that we would have a lot more in common and they would know more about the, you know, the continent. But um, I, I guess in my own mind, I was expecting a time to have stopped and things would just be the same way as I imagined, you know, from centuries ago when uh, they were taken from from Africa over there, but obviously time does not stand still, and there are transformations that take place over time. So um, some of those things were um, the food that they eat um, is similar in some way to what we what we we eat. The ingredients are the same, but it might just be you know uh, prepared a little bit differently. But I saw a lot of similarities in the food. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of similarities in the dress um, uh, uh, dress attires. I saw a lot of similarities, even in the language. 
like uh, the Curacilinian language is uh, papiamento. And papiamento is, uh, it's basically an infusion of uh, Afrikaans, uh, Portuguese from um, Cape Verde, where the, the enslaved people were, you know, transported, you know, from Iragana, uh, Nigeria to, you know, that uh, passageway in Cape, uh, Capo Verde and then from there uh, a, sh a ship out. So the Portuguese they speak there is actually almost the same as what they speak in uh, Curacao. They can understand themselves, of course, with the infusion of the other languages, Afrikaans, English, uh, Creole, Patois, mm -hmm. a mixture of that, you know, now forms the Papiamento language. So I was very keen, you know, to learn uh, Papiamento. And in the process of learning and being able to speak it, so they have Dutch as the national language and then Papiamento. Uh, and in being able to speak Papiamento, I really got an understanding of some of the issues that, um, you know, are still underlying. You know, when we talk about the whole transatlantic slave trade and the remnants of it, and what has been done in terms of uh, reconciling uh, the, um, you know, the hatred that exists from that, um, let's call it genocide. Uh, there's a lot of discussions about whether it's genocide or it's, you know, uh, for trade. We know the remnant of it has a deep-rooted hatred in in some places, and so uh, there was that. Um, say new knowledge that I gained. I also understood that um, and saw that because of the skin tones, you know, you can have uh, a family, a family and each person looking slightly different color. There were um, cases of uh, racism and discrimination within that community um, based on your skin tone. And then also uh, opportunities that were afforded certain uh, groups of uh, uh, people within that community based on you know, whether they were um, plantation owners or descendants of plant plantation owners, or if they were workers, just workers, uh, field workers in those places. So those were some of the things that I saw and it took me back to um, you know, um, my readings and knowledge of uh, the enslavement period and uh, the conversations that often came out of that was the need for reconciliation, the need for, um, you know, talking about restoration, uh, peace, and from peaceful uh, redevelopment, and what the people themselves should be looking at. And of course, because, um, you know, controversial, but the Netherlands uh, being um, the mother hen, the father of the kingdom, still playing a very, uh, let's say, uh, strong role. And this is something that needs to be discussed, both Curacao and St. Martin. Uh, those still remain issues today, which the islands are fighting for emancipation. Wow. They want to determine uh, for themselves how the, you know, the functioning of their the countries, the new countries should be, but there is that supervisory function that is played by the Netherlands, which can sometimes be suffocating. And it takes the people back to, you know, the enslavement period where they still feel like 
they are being uh, treated as um, lesser equals of that mm. kingdom. So those are some of the things that, you know, um, often triggered conversations about you're now in a new entity and in the free world um, where you should be able to determine for yourselves how you run your country, how you administer your country, and some of the issues that um, were coming up, how do you address them without necessarily always having this, you know, overpowering um, lord, master over you. So, um, and because, you know, they're still part of the kingdom, you know, um, there was always the fear of you could lose your Dutch citizenship if you challenged some of those um, norms. And so um, those were some of the things that were a little bit difficult for me to, to basically comprehend because um, as we see today, uh, the, the Netherlands, and that is something that I think is gonna come up later. Uh, the Netherlands as the colonizer of that part of the kingdom there has been agitation for the longest time, although very silently, about the need for an apology, about the need for, because it was one of the um, last ones that really freed their, um, their enslaved people. And the need for an apology and the need for reparatory justice, because when people have been put through um, enslavement uh, treatment for so long, and then, you know, even when freedom was given, there was nothing to really show for, show for it. And that still manifests today. Then, uh, you know, the whole discussions about how do we deal with this and how do we redeem ourselves and how do we, um, you know, ensure that, you know, the younger generation sees themselves as, as better than, you know, people that came from enslavement. So that conversation uh, was there and it's still there. And as we speak, you know, I've made it um, a mandate to uh, be able to link those who are interested in learning about uh, the homeland uh, in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. So because of some of these conversations, because of, you know, the uh, the hatred, the, uh, because of the hard feelings that we experienced there, um, I decided that I wasn't going to look at um, reconciliation from the enslavement times. I was going to look at reconciliation from a positive way. If we want to know more about where the ancestors came from in Africa, if we want to know more about how we can do things together to really help develop ourselves from an empowered position, then we didn't need to always go back to, um, of course, history is, is, is good. We've learned from it. But in moving forward, we should not um, put ourselves in a position of uh, victims, but yes. operate from an empowered um, economic position, an empowered um, um, cultural position where we, we learn more about who we are as a people and the vibrancy of our continent and the richness that it provides. And from that perspective, then we can sit at a table and be able to really dialogue and negotiate for things that make us you know, better people as uh, Africans and people of African descent and uh, de facto um, Africans in the diaspora. So that is really what um, 
you know, triggered the formation of the African Caribbean Heritage Alliance in 2014. Yes, and Okama. Here we are. <laughs> I, 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 I want to say something here because you, when you talked about the history and the enslavement um, and the hatred and the triggers and the colorism between uh, different shades of people within their own family. I mean, I can personally relate to that. I'm the dark one in my family and I can definitely relate to that. And I feel like that's not even just within that part of the Caribbean, but it stems to, you know, a whole lot of other parts of the Caribbean. But what you said was something really powerful. So the history is definitely important for us to know, to understand and to learn, but from a place of empowerment and moving forward, we have to embrace understanding the culture, the vibrancy, and not really remaining in that victimhood position. And I feel that this is, this is critical. This is exactly what this show is about, really connecting and building a bridge to people between Black people worldwide, starting with understanding ourselves, knowing who we are. Um, so your, your stories have definitely given us light to see how connected everything is. So before we close, I want you to share a little bit more about um, Acha because you, you decided to launch that as a way to foster that empowerment and bridge between African people and the Caribbean peoples. What is, what is Acha about? What do you do with that? How do you deliver your services? How do you connect people with each other? Thank you, Monique. Thank you, Monique. Yes, um, so from really uh, a recognition that um, we have to operate from an empowered basis um, and having learned um, about a number of uh, people uh, of uh, African descent who had actually done their uh, DNA testing, traced their roots back to you know, Ka uh, uh, Ghana, Nigeria, Democratic Republic of Congo, Cape Verde, um, some from um, even uh, South Africa, etc. Um, I then the realization that you know uh, an organization that would help to connect those who are interested in coming back, whether it's for pilgrimage or for educational exchanges or for you know cultural um, uh, cultural programs and tourism, general tourism then we should be able to do that. And um, it also, I was you know, aware of the fact that a lot of the information that people got off of the internet was necessarily not the uh, accurate situation of what you know, Africa represents. So, you know, and this is something that I also experienced in, in traveling around there was always like, you know, oh, wow, you know, you look well, you look, you speak well. <laughs> You're not starving. We thought, you know, Africa is about farming and uh, sick, uh, dying people and fighting and bomb blast. And so, you know, <laughs> when um, people um, see a different thing, then they, they, they start questioning and came to the realization that actually uh, the true picture of what is happening here is not being um, uh, depicted, is not being shown. So the formation of ACHA is development, sustainable development from a cultural and heritage perspective. We, we want to impact on livelihoods of people, particularly of people of uh, uh, Africa and African descent, 
but from a knowledge of who they are as you know, beautiful people, as a, a, a rich heritage, as the continent that actually birthed humanity. I think that is something that is very um, usually not talked about, but actually humanity from all research originated from Africa. So if we were able to do that, and if you look at all of the ancient civilizations that came from here, why is it that um, Africans and the impact of Africa, uh, Africans is not evident anymore? You know, so um, what Acha um, aims to do is a re-education of what we are as uh, Africans, what the, the homeland, the motherland offers, and uh, how we, um, the Africans or people who are um, sympathetic with our cause can engage, but from a position of um, positive uh, reconnection. Fantastic. So we therefore facilitate for people outside uh, who want to come back and visit, people outside who want to do business with reliable um, African-owned businesses, um, with people who, uh, and vice versa, you know, from outside in and from in uh, out, we are that bridge. We, um, <clears throat> our goal is to continue to be the organization that facilitates for a rich um, uh, exchange through uh, culture through who we are and people knowing what we stand for and what we do. And you know, something really, really interesting when I was in St. Martin, even talking to high school students, sometimes, you know, they were surprised that I, I'm from Nigeria and um, from Africa. They see Africa as a homogeneous uh, place. Mm -hmm. And they would ask me, Miss, what kind of school did you go to? What are the roads like? You guys live in houses, mm -hmm. you know? So those questions, you know, really um, made me understand that we have to tell our stories, um, how, we, how we experience it. We have to showcase more of what is happening in the continent and that it's not just about all of the negative things that the mass media has been projecting about Africa. So we're doing this very well. Uh, I am part of a company now that is so I've been invited you know to serve on different advisory boards and one of them is a company that is actually building aim to build a million homes um, in Nigeria and other African countries at minimal um, uh, rate mm -hmm. for for Africans and people outside who want wish to come back and be part of the uh, development process I'm also part of, you know, uh, the working group for the Sustainable Development Goals, where we're looking at an inclusive way of delivering these um, uh, services to people in the different uh, African countries, but also holding accountable our governments to ensure that at the end of the period, uh, there's meaningful uh, results that can be attested to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ACHA, through ACHA, and positive reconnections, um, we are making an impact. We are building a deeper understanding of, of who we are as a people and what the continent stands for, and therefore how our people in the diaspora can connect. And even our people here can learn about the Caribbean. We cannot yes. assume. <laughs> yes, so where, where, where can our listeners find you online? Where can they find you? 
What are some well, of your we are, uh, links? Yes, we are on, um, um, we have a website, which is um, um, www.afrocaribbeanalliance.org, afrocaribbeanalliance.org. And we have an Instagram page, which is uh, Alliance, A-C-H-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E. And uh, we're on Facebook as uh, the organization ACHA, Africa Caribbean Heritage Alliance. And uh, Twitter, um, we use uh, Arch Alliance. And of course, um, you can find me on my Facebook page as well, which is uh, Okama Ekwe, Okama and uh, EKPE. So I'll put all those of are the ways notes. that people can connect. Please, you know, link up. We're doing some fabulous projects on the ground, um, which uh, we would love to have your participation and support. And of course, uh, we're hoping to have the Calabar Carnival in uh, December, which uh, will be, you know, broadcast uh, live, live stream, so you can tune in and watch. But hopefully, when the pandemic is over, we will get a chance to have a conference here in country um, where um, you know you all can tune in or even visit to participate in the conference. Well, Okama, I just want to say this has been such an eye-opening and enlightening conversation. Um, you took us all the way around the world with your stories, your insights, your experiences. And just to kind of recap for those that are listening, really, um, the, the things that I picked up that are so really powerful, there's so many nuggets, but understanding that our beliefs and our exposures to really being of service and building that bridge starts from very, very small. And then really making sure that we're not giving prescriptive solutions, but instead focusing on being conscious and aware of understanding those that we're trying to connect with. Having that inside out approach, really making sure that you are embedded in understanding someone's experience, someone's story, and then making sure that that connection is long lasting and sustainable. And then also moving down into the understanding of our history, the, the, tra the traumatic history of the enslaved people and realizing how so much has been embedded hatred, beliefs, triggers, misunderstanding, disconnection. But when you understand your history and then choose to take a positive outlook in the future to build that bridge, you will have a deeper appreciation of who you are and how you can serve the world. I told you guys that she was going to be phenomenal and she was. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Make sure that you subscribe. Check us out on Apple's, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast or on my website, clearcommunicationsolutions.com. And once again, until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit clairecommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.